Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Just running to the wind-up, I never do an actual introduction, but I will this time. It's the wind-up where we talk about the latest video games, the latest news stories, whatever else is going on in the industry. And I'm Scott Tilford, and you're Josh Brown. This is why you're the best, man. Thank I you. could never just do that off the top of my head. <laughs> no one at home knows this, but I need, I need a script for everything. And even when I have a script, I usually do. I mess it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, good morning, Scott. I Hi. really love that. I thought we would do a rundown of the latest, uh, the news talking points, the things that are doing the rounds in the industry. And then we'll get to the stuff that we've been playing, because between us, we're playing Dead Space, Hi-Fi Rush, Mortal Shell. Mortal Shell. I Mortal can't Shell. wait to talk about Mortal Shell. Cheeky little bit of Mortal Shell for the boys. Um, it's because it's on the Xbox. It's on Game Pass or something? It's on both Game Pass right. and the PlayStation Plus subs- su- uh, subscription service. Maybe they're trying to secure a sequel to the old Mortal Shell. Well, we'll talk about this more, but we I will. would love a sequel, my friend. We'll get there. Um, and also, you've, uh, you discovered your old PS1 as I well, which was a beautiful is. image over on Instagram, over on uh, social media. Ah, oh, man, I'm putting CRT a little... TV. Well, this is it. For the past few weeks, I've been putting a little bit of a project together. I've been acquiring a CRT television, uh-huh. which is really hard to find, by the way. <laughs> if you don't have a car, especially, you can't pick it up. Mm-hmm. As I've acquired that, I've reacquired my... The, the, the PlayStation 1 that I had when I was four... So I've managed to get that out the shed and surprisingly it still it in works. It's got a few games for it. I bought Tomb Raider 3 from CEX at the weekend nice. and I'm excited to talk about that later <laughs> as well. I just thought of something else that I finished as well which is Forspoken. Although... You finished it? No, I ended up looking up the ending because that game gets worse the more you play and I thought I can't devote 20 more hours to this game. I'm just going to watch the story summary on YouTube. So forgive me, but of the five of us playing it, I'm tapping out. I can't say I'm shocked by this no. unforeseen turn of events. <laughs> I also looked at how much because you mentioned CEX, I also looked at how much it was worth to trade in. Yeah. And I was like, this is only going to plummet, but right now I could just get rid of it yeah. and then get something else. Um, but I'll get on to Forspoken hey, later on. What? Put it towards a PlayStation VR 2 headset. I don't think I'll be doing that. Okay. I don't think I'll be getting that at all. But I will see what you think, and then I'll get carried away, and then I'll get one anyway. <laughs> so such is the natural order of things. Speaking of which, um, not really, is Resident <laughs> Evil 4 Remake Gameplay, um, which came out thanks to Game Informer across the last few days, and got a hell of a divisive response, mostly because the rendering of the rain is very GTA trilogy definitive edition and a lot of people just going like what the hell is this it looks like you've sort of like thrown various coconut shards over the gameplay um, and it doesn't look that solid now what do you think of this before we go any further hey rain aside I thought it looked bloody good but of course I did Scott Telford Resident (laughs) Evil 4 I'm really looking forward to Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I love the changes that they've made you know we've long since said um on this very podcast that or at least I have, that mm. when it comes to Resident Evil 4, I have the perfect version of Resident Evil 4 already, mm. and I can play it on my PlayStation 5 right now. If they're going to do something different, I want them to do something different, and mm. it'll look different enough in the gameplay that we saw for me personally to spark my interest once again and get me really excited for it. What do you think of the new uh, merchant voice? Yeah, well, I know. Well, he needs to be huskier. He he what are you buying? He needs to be a lot lower than what, what he is. Selling. I was like, you're yeah. too chirpy, my friend. I hope things... <laughs> 
hope, hope things happen to you as the story goes on so you become more like the old <laughs> merchant. Um, yeah, for me, I just thought it looked solid enough. I, it reminded me of when you sometimes see people who mod old games. Um, like when yeah. people mod GTA V over and over and over again and they start adding like super reflective surfaces to everything yeah. and so many particle effects to everything um, to just hit you over the head with like, look how many things we've put in this. Um, and that's kind of the vibe I got with RE4. I think it's because I'm being too precious, like me, like I always am, with the original um, where I sort of looked at it and I was like, this looks over modded. This looks over improved where right. it just looks too hyper shiny and written ridiculous kind of thing. But it wasn't helped by the rain effect that obviously obscured a lot of things. It didn't look very natural. It looked like it was screaming improvements at me that I that you don't need in the first place, let's say. Um, and so I like the changes to gameplay. I like that they're putting a bit more um, of like, a, it's viable to almost play stealthily now. Like there's mm. a lot more stealth animations in there. Um, I think the animation when you, if one of the Ganados grabs Ashley, there's a different animation for getting her back, I think. Right. Um, you sort of like, it seems like it's a more like hands-on kind of melee attack thing for that. So I, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I, I'm not that bothered about this as a, as a project. So like, it's just not really for me. I don't know. Because um, the first one's too good. Well, this is it. I don't know what I thought you would think of this game. I wish I could get on board with the remake train. I just, I just, I don't know. I, I'm always case by case. Dead Space, beautiful remake. But yeah. like the actual idea of here's this thing you already did, always on paper, doesn't do anything for me. I, I, I certainly do get that. And you can definitely look at the footage that's out there and go, why do we need this? Mm. Like I said, when Resident Evil 4, as it stands, is kind of perfect. Yeah, some of it has aged quite... <laughs> Not great, but yeah. you know, as a, as a as a gameplay package, I still think it stands up to this day. Yeah. For me personally, I like obviously obviously because I like all the bells and whistles. The thing I is, like, like I the bells want... and whistles that they've added, yeah. and I do also really love the new character designs. Yes, it's not mm. the Leon from Resi Four as we knew him. It's more in line with his design from Resident Evil Two. But I love the way he looks. I think the Ashley character model in particular, you know, like the the fidelity on mm. on that up close, like when you see the close ups of her face, is like insane. Yeah. Yeah, it feels yeah. next gen. It feels new. It, to me, it it looks even better than um, Resident Evil Two did, and that was a yeah, stunning game. The the RE engine, I think they're still using for this, is just incredible, man. Yeah, man. Apart from that's, the rain. <laughs> no, that's the thing, and I, you have to assume that they'll do something about the rain. Like that was the biggest talking point coming out of that gameplay footage. It was like, oh my god, guys, this is like the their GTA Definitive Edition, um, where it just it's just obscuring what's happening. Like I don't know how the hell they recorded that footage as well in terms of taking on so many enemies where you can barely see anything. Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to keep like beating the same point about like, oh, I wish there was more original stuff because we're obviously getting it like Hi-Fi Rush. Um, it's just one of those things where sometimes when you look at something as well known as Resident Evil 4, something that a lot of us have played and you have those direct comparisons, um, it's always just going to be, what have you guys done to it to really make it feel like it needs to happen again in 2023? Yeah. Um, and I just leaning so heavily on the visuals, like I'm just kind of like, yeah, like I'm curious what else they've done to the gameplay side of it. And I think they're yeah. going to have not, not an uphill battle because Resident Evil 4 is beloved and I mm. do think that there is an inbuilt audience who just want to see a new version of it, but yeah. it's not the same as them remaking Resident Evil 2 or Resident Evil 3, mm. where the, it's so different from the original. It plays so different. It looks so different. Mm. It's, it's you know, more readily accessible than Resident Evil 2 or 3 mm -hmm. uh, right at this moment in time that it was just kind of you didn't have the same level of scrutiny that I think this is going to have True. because you were going to get so many side-by-sides of Resident Evil 4 original and Resident Evil 4 remake oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in comparisons and people 
picking out, rightly so, <laughs> the nitty gritty of the minute changes. You know what I mean? Like you just didn't have that with the previous game. So I wonder whether that's going to impact how it's received and its sales. I'm not entirely sure because it is beloved, but it's interesting. The thing that I'm I'm really like, I want to see more of is that there's mention of adding like more side missions and things to do in those spaces. And that's one thing that I love about the Dead Space remake is yeah. that they've just expanded some of the environments and it's like they had a we'll talk about it when we get to the Dead Space stuff, but they have changed the level meshes. They have gone in and gone like, okay, well, this locked door is now a whole other little side thing and where you get more equipment or maybe you have a, a specific jump scare or you have to, whatever. There's like things that you do that weren't there before. And that for me is a more meaningful way to reapproach something and flesh it out in a way that like, and it only serves the overall whole. Like in Dead Space's case, it makes it a way more like white knuckle terrifying horror game because you don't know what the hell's happening. Mm-hmm. And they almost, in Dead Space's case, I don't keep saying we'll get to this in a bit, <laughs> but I'll just say now, the way that they change around a lot of the Necromorph AI so that they, um, they it's almost more like Alien Isolation or it's almost more like um, Resident Evil 2's um, the Hunter guy, whatever you call the big gray guy. Mr. X. Mr. X's thing, where they can appear at any time and it feels like you're being pursued. There's almost like an element of pursuer AI in Dead Space and that was right. never there before. Um, and I think that's a really great thing to inject into that remake. Um, but yeah, for Resi 4, um, obviously that's coming later this year and it's, it is just a, a massive deal. So I think I, they've, it, it makes sense the way that they've gone. 100% man. And I will also say that for as good as I thought it looked, it mm. didn't give me the goods that I wanted. Right. And the goods that I want is news on what the hell they're doing for PSVR 2, Scott Tilford, <laughs> because they said they will have some kind of Resident Evil 4 remake PSVR content, but we still don't know what that is. And it's the, the, the headset's three weeks out from launch, and I, I just need I can't to believe know that. if it's DLC or if it's like the full game in VR, yeah. because if it's the full game in VR, oh, I am hijacking every one of these podcasts because I will not stop talking about that. I genuinely want you to find some way of injecting PSVR 2 into every single conversation that we have. <laughs> not unlike that John Cena meme, you know, the one when he's on the, the fake phone call one where it's just like, I don't think I've seen it. just talking, it's like, it's John Cena, and everything just goes back into John Cena. I just, I feel like everything for you relates back to PSVR 2, as you, well it should. You will know, you will know full well if I'm disappointed with PSVR 2, uh, because if it doesn't get mentioned, like, I'm, I, I, I won't be on here slagging it off, mm. not because, you know, I, I think I owe Sony anything or anything like that, <laughs> but because it will hurt me too much to say that it is bad. Oh <laughs> so my I God. just won't talk about it. I can't, your little face being disappointed with PSVR 2 is not an image that I want to have to see. Um, but yeah, the fact that that's three weeks away, um, we're gonna, we'll see what we're going to do with PSVR 2. I'm very, very curious. Hopefully we can find a way of making videos on it. VR stuff is is uh, notoriously very hard to actually showcase on yes. video. You'll, you need to try it yourself kind of thing. Um, but you'll be getting one. We'll do some hands-on stuff with that. Uh, um, especially in terms of podcast discussions. Um, the next thing down that I had as a news point um, is something that came from um, known sort of leaker Idol Sloth, as well as Video Game Chronicles' Andy Robinson, um, just tweeting about the reason that Microsoft aren't, or Xbox aren't going to be at E3, and mm. apparently it's directly down to them not having a marketing budget, um, which is just kind of hilarious. Like, you have this is the same company trying to free up all this, like, 70 billion or whatever it was for, like, um, all these different acquisitions and everything, and I just think that they had all the massive layoffs that we talked about, I think it was just last week or the week before, yeah. and then now they can't do they can't be at E3. They can't, like, they haven't got a marketing budget for, I mean, what, what games have they got to market apart from Hi-Fi Rush? Very good. But still, I think the fact that they have um, such very notable, they don't have the funds to do these big swing and D moves that they're yeah. trying to do. Well, on, on the one hand, of course they do. If they mm. if they wanted to find the money for anything they wanted to do, yes. they would find it because they're Microsoft. They they might have made less than last year mm. or the year before, but they've still got loads of money. Oh, yeah, they've got true, loads of money true. in the reserves. So to me, it's like it is true, and I believe them. But it's it's true in the sense that you know, if if you say you're skint, but really you've got savings. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like it's not technically true, but you might be skint right now. Skint when is it, a northeast <laughs> phrase for running out of money. Sorry, yes, I it means you 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 are, you are broke. You have no money or anything like that. Um, with 
this news in particular, though, I can kind of see why it would make sense. You know, E3 is an expenditure, and do these companies need E3? The no, they totally is, don't. But The answer is no. Like, who would they be doing it for? A lot of the function of E3 has kind of gone away. Like, the behind-the-scenes functions of E3 have gone away over the past few years. The the in-front-of-the-screens functions of marketing your mm. game uh, have changed radically. You know, just this month, or last month, I guess, at the time of recording this, um, Xbox did their first Xbox Developer Direct where yep. they showed off Redfall, uh, you know, Minecraft Legends, all of that stuff. They're probably just looking at it thinking, we could we could pay to be at E3. We could mm-hmm. pay out of our marketing budget to splash out again, but we could also just save the money because they need us more than we need them and we mm-hmm. can market our games however we like. You know? oh, dude, I, yeah, I don't deny that E3 has zero purpose anymore. Me and Jules talked about it a little bit on the Untitled Partner Pod because it is that idea of everyone has their own live stream. Ever since Nintendo Direct took off, it was like, this is just a way to do this. You can do these way more frequently and you don't need to get everybody into like a same physical space to show something off. I just think that it's interesting in terms of the amount of different things hovering around Microsoft in terms of the different acquisitions they're trying to do and that the, the whole, you know, pushing it always, pushing it back kind of thing. They're having this big war with Sony back and forward over um, that whole deal. And then also things coming out like, oh, we're actually not going to be at E3 because we haven't really got the money for it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they obviously do. But in terms of the money that Microsoft are, um, you know, assigning to the Xbox brand or whatever, they've been very careful with like almost focusing entirely on just Game Pass and acquisitions and yeah. background stuff. And uh, and that idea of, you know, the, the Microsoft of old or the Xbox of old and the 360 era where it was a lot more personable and almost friendly almost in terms of um, the way that system felt and the way the marketing felt around the games. Um, I just think it's interesting. I think that they're in like a transitionary phase and I think they're sort of reading the terrain as to Nintendo are just off doing their own thing. Sony are quite cold at the minute as well yeah. in terms of how they feel. Um, and I just don't know if they're just planning for the future. Like there's a lot of weird things going on right now at this time of year, the amount of layoffs, the amount of live services that are ending or whatever. And I feel like they're just going like, let's plan for two, three years in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally think that, you know, a bunch of head honchos have sat down and gone, look, Nintendo's not doing it. Sony's not doing it. Mm. You know, it's getting less support every year. Even the event itself, like, is it going to be digital? Is it going to be in person? Is it going to happen at all? It's mm. so up in the air. It's not the behemoth it once was. And if you're those executives, you're probably thinking, well, you know, if nobody else is doing it, why are we still paying for it? You know, true. In in in, in that sense, mm-hmm. it was the way that like Robinson uh, tweeted, just saying that they he referred to like one entity mentioning Sony and Microsoft, and just said that like one of these entities doesn't have a marketing budget, right. and, and then Idle Sloth is like, oh, it's it's Microsoft, and but they they are still doing some sort of event alongside E3. So there's still something happening with Xbox stuff. Um, but yeah, just overall, I feel like this is this is a, a weird year for them. And it's like, things like Hi-Fi Rush are massively restorative as to they do actually know what they're doing. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, still, things like this are a warning sign. Taking that... F- you know, statement at face value. Mm. Xbox doesn't have a marketing budget, not just for <laughs> E3, for the entire year. Mm. You know, they've got big games coming out this year. They've got Starfield, which, you know, for as much promise as that has, in my opinion, still needs to win people over. Yeah, you know, totally. still has a lot of work to do to prove that it's not going to be a Fallout 76 or even a, a Fallout 4, which sold well, mm-hmm. but, you know, didn't have that tail in terms of its long-term reputation mm. or anything like that, even though I love that game. Um, and it's like, if they don't have the marketing budget... Are they just going to do the hi-fi rush approach for all of these games? Mm. They're all coming to Game Pass anyway. Mm. 
like and allow them to sell themselves. Is that what they're going to bank on this year? I don't know. Oh I don't God. know if that would work, but it would be an interesting way for them to push Game Pass, I suppose. If they can make it so that a developer direct or you know the association between like Xbox say there's a live stream coming, if that starts having an association or a connotation of some game will drop at this show, you massively boost your interest because that's a guaranteed something. Yeah. Um, and they tie that in with Game Pass and just say, hey, you know, pre-subscribe, get these things, you know, get all these games already, um, and then watch the show and see what the latest announcement is. That would be a really cool way to go. Like, I love the way they did Hi-Fi Rush, and that game is massively outsold uh, for Spoken. I was just checking the UK charts for that. Yes. And it's like, it, ha- it, it did pay off for them. I, I uh, it, it totally did. I'm not mm. going to deny that. Like, it was a great surprise drop. It got me interested in a game that I might not have played mm. otherwise because it felt like it had a lot of energy about it. Mm-hmm. But I did see a lot of reaction on Twitter why did I pronounce that so strangely there? My, my mouth did a, did, a, did a shape that it's never done. I saw people, you know, responding to the idea that Microsoft should take this approach for all of their games mm. because look how successful it was mm. in people pointing out, like, look, if you do this for some indie games, they're going to die. Oh, totally, you know what I mean? yeah. It's not going to work. It works in this case because it's like a big studio behind it mm. and it's it's a really confident game that, you know, has a lot of mass appeal. When it comes to other titles that have just been pushed down Game Pass, like my beloved Immortality <laughs> or, you know, a bunch of games that came out last year, they just almost came and went like Netflix movies do, where yeah, it's yeah. just there and you can have it if you want, but do we not want to give these games a little bit more of a push? Do we well, not want to give them a bit more of a spotlight rather than lumping them, in, lumping them in with nine of the releases that you can play for 10 minutes if you want? That would be the middle ground though, right? If they did it more like a direct, where you get your trailer, you get your spotlight, and then you get to say, and it's available right now. Yeah. Like, that in itself makes people go, well, I might as well grab it. I, I'm, I, my Xbox is in the next room or whatever it is, um, which is what the case was with Hi-Fi Rush. And then the thing with Hi-Fi is that as I finished it, um, as I got through each chapter, the the when you get an achievement in on an Xbox, it tells you the percentage of how many players have it. That percentage dropped the F off as that game went on to the point where the last sort of two, three chapters are only being beaten by about 5% of players. Right. So a lot of people have checked it out um, initially, like the initial percentage is about 80, 90. Um, but like I said, it dropped right off. Like that, that. I mean, that's the whole thing is that, that general thing that people don't finish their games. But it got to the point where every single story thing that was popping up was a rare achievement. Yeah. And I was nah. just like, you can tell no one's finishing it. Dude, I'm, I'm guilty as, mm. I'm, I'm guilty for doing that. And mm-hmm. you know what like I try to finish all of the games that I play mm-hmm. and it's kind of I view it as a failing in myself if I don't like <laughs> I jumped in Hi-Fi Rush because it looked great it mm-hmm. played great it was getting all of this buzz but I've not touched it since I played an hour and a half of it and it's a, it's by all accounts a great game but it, it came and went really quickly yeah. despite having that initial you know look at this look what this is you need to play this right now mm-hmm. it didn't have that staying power for whatever reason it had the intrigue power mm-hmm. 100% but it didn't have that resonant power. I think it's interesting because that's almost like a knock-on effect of there isn't, there wasn't any hype, there wasn't any build-up, so it's not like you had an expectation to chase down a story scene or chase down a certain mechanic that you were looking forward to or whatever it was. I think for me, the reason that a lot of people didn't stick with Hi-Fi Rush, or potentially, we'll see how it goes, um, I can only speak to the last weekend when I finished it and the percentages that were available then, um, is that the story's not anything. The story's very generic. Um, I think that the art style's incredible, but like, that's it. There's not, like, the gameplay's solid enough, but there's not that many hooks to it. I actually found it to be incredibly forgettable, um, and I forgot that it was there. I would just right. go back on my Xbox and be like, oh, it's still there. I guess I'll play more of that. Um, but that's a whole conversation um, for a little bit later in the podcast. Um, next news thing is Dragon Age Dreadwolf gameplay leaking and fracturing the Dragon Age fandom. Yes. Um, very much into a 90-10 split. Most people really not liking the fact that it's more of a um, third-person hack and slash, almost Dragon's Dogma style gameplay engine, gameplay style, um, as opposed to the almost top-down, more planning approach that uh, Dragon Age usually has, and especially Inquisition had. You know what, man? Count me in the 10%. Yeah, I'm in the 10%. <laughs> 
it looked sick, man. I thought it looked really good. And it's obviously, it's a, such an early build, you know, probably pre-alpha from years ago, not finished at all. But even in that slight bit of footage that you saw of the uh, combat, you know, like the animations, the guy like bouncing off the other enemy and like, you know, actually having action combat in there with fluid animation and fluid movement and mm. stuff. To me, that's that's what I want to see from Dragon Age. I'm not a Dragon Age purist by any means, mm -hmm. but um, it reminded me of, you know, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, you know, when you have, you know, still, you have your spells, you have your abilities that you're popping off, but, like, the core combat itself looks visually interesting. Mm -hmm. And in, obviously, I, I haven't played it, but it looked impactful as well. Yeah. And I enjoyed Dragon Age Inquisition and the kind of changes that it made to its combat, but... This to me looks like the next step, and I'm here for it. I'm curious. Yeah, because if you play Dragon's Dogma, no, this was an, this is entirely Dragon's Dogma. Right. Like even down to the UI, like the idea that you almost it looks like you have an L2 or, or like a left trigger um, set of things on the on the hood on the left hand side. Like maybe it's different, uh, like melee attacks or something. And there's another little like spell wheel thing on the right hand side um, for the other trigger. And you can just fire off all your different moves and your different specials and everything else. It feels very snappy or it looks very snappy in the footage. Um, but it did give me very heavy Dragon's Dogma vibes. Um, which uh, that's the whole thing. I get why people are annoyed about it. At least I mean, all we've seen is like ten seconds of footage. Yeah. Um, but it is like in the middle of a bit of combat, which Dragon Age's combat was very distinct. And even if you just go off Inquisition, which is the one that I played the most, um, that was like a, you could freeze time top down and plan out, okay, they're going to do this and tell your different units where to go and, and how to do stuff. It wasn't grid-based, wasn't explicitly no. turn-based, but a lot of people liked that strategic side of it. And I think a lot of people will uh, conflate that idea of you're making it more hack and slash with you're making it more mainstream, you're making it less like Dragon Age. Yeah, I, I, I totally empathize with that 100%, mm. but to me, just because we saw that brief bit mm. of footage, doesn't rule out that side of the gameplay. Like, no, like you said, even Inquisition, which had more of an action focus, arguably, still had that ability to you know, shout out commands to your team or switch party members. Mm. Apparently, this one doesn't have the ability to switch party members, but even to me, that also implies that there has to be a focus on party management then. If you, you can't assume just, so, yeah. yeah if like you Mass Effect style. Totally. If you can't jump into the shoes of your party members, surely mm. you have to control them in some way, and surely it will have a mode where you can approach it in a more purist uh, manner and, mm. and get, give your party instructions to perform in a certain way, defensively, offensively, mm -hmm. a spell focus or whatever. The thing that I'm fascinated by, it's more just what this means for Bioware, because Dragon Age uh, Dreadwolf was the game that they shadow announced at like an event um, back when there was rumors of EA shutting them down and like this whole idea of they're not performing well enough, they haven't had a surefire hit in a while. Um, and I think it was right at the beginning, it might have been after, just, just after Anthem dropped, or it was around about that time period where people were just like, what the hell even is Bioware? Because most of those people have left. And very recently, Mac Walters just left. Yeah. He was the one remaining Mass Effect like veteran um, who helped bring Andromeda together and it now, has now left the company as well. But it was that general conversation around like, what the hell is Bioware? And then they just randomly announced Dragon Age. Apparently EA didn't know they were going to do that at that event or something in, in their slot that they had at that event. But they wanted people to know that they had another iron in the fire. And then after Anthem, they announced the new Mass Effect's coming and the new Dragon Age is coming. So both these games are like, they need to almost save the studio. And yeah. I, it must be just so hard being at that studio, being maybe like some of the remnants of that wider team will still be there. But like, obviously the founders aren't there anymore. The two doctors that formed it, like, like I said, Mark Walters, Drew Carpishin, like a lot of those people have gone. Um, and it's just that idea of, I remember, um, I can't think of the name of the dude, Casey, uh, Casey Barlog, Corey Barlog? Casey Hudson. Casey Hudson. I was like, Corey Barlog's the other dude, God of War guy. Um, yeah, Casey Hudson, um, when Dragon Age was being mentioned, when Dreadwolf was being mentioned, he said it would be a live service game. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's now left Bioware as well. Um, but it was, you know, maybe that was a different time in gaming. There was always that assumption that everything can be a live service. 
it. Uh, go ch check out me and Josh's video on the death of almost every live service recently uh, as to why that would be a horrible way for them to go. Um, but still, I wonder if just what version of this game they need it to be versus what version they want it to be and how much of anything close to that signature Bioware anything can be present anymore. I think they've got a go back to it somehow, man. Like, mm. I think the development of this game is fascinating for some of the reasons that you just mentioned there. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a reaction to Anthem failing in the yeah, same way yeah. that um, the announcement of The Elder Scrolls Six, in my opinion, was a reaction to the failure of Fallout 76 <laughs> for Bethesda to go, look, yeah, we've got Starfield, but we've also got The Elder Scrolls on the horizon. You're not going to see it for 10 years, but it's Same there. with uh, Beyond Good Evil 2. Beyond Good so, Evil 2. Yeah, we got two. that too. This definitely felt like uh, a reaction to Anthem to be try to instill confidence in the audience. But then, mm. like you said, you know, the immediate follow-up to the announcement of Dragon Age 4 was the announcement that it was going to have live service elements. They've since reneged on that, and they've gone back to it just being a single-player game. Mm. But even in this report, you know, following the leak of this gameplay, it was, you know, stated that apparently the team still has a lot of those live service elements in the game that they're trying to get rid of, because obviously it, <laughs> it would have been such a foundation of the experience at one point, and they said that, like, remnants are still in there. I think it was 2021 when the game was internally rebooted and they decided right, that it okay. wasn't going to be a live service title, but they had done work on it. So mm -hmm. I think when you look at the screens that have leaked, when you look at the gameplay that has leaked, you can definitely tell that they have made a live service game into a multiplayer game rather than vice versa, which mm. at the very least, Scott Telford, <laughs> means they're on the right path. It means that by yeah. the time the game comes out, they might have been able to ex extract, extract all of the live service shrapnel out of the game mm -hmm. and manage to refine that Bioware magic. But I just thought the uh, creative director or the, uh, the uh, one of the original creators of Dragon Age also left Bioware. That's Mark Laidlaw. I think, um, yeah. I think it's lost two creative directors yeah. over the years. A lot of people have left that program. Project. I was just thinking when you mentioned the live, or when we, we mentioned the live service stuff, one of the screens that leaked was another arbitrary character in the middle UI with a bunch of loot components on either side. And I was like, oh my God, it's, it's another one of them. I will say, I saw that doing the rounds on social media as well. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates 
fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And, and to me... That's the same as Inquisition. Inquisition had a screen yeah. very similar to that. that. Might be the problem though. Maybe it that is. Might be maybe the problem. it is. You might be right. I did see, and I think it was like Legacy Killer over on Twitter um, shared that like every recent video game UI, and it was right. like from Spider Man to God of War to Dragon Age to everything. It's all the same. Like every UI is almost exactly the same. Um, and can we please get past that kind of thing? Which I guess I go back and forth on. It depends how much it actually serves the game. I will say, yeah. if it's got a cursor. In the menu, oh my god, screen. bin that off! It's uh, it's a zero out of ten, I'm afraid. And I will not buy. No, I yeah, god, my god, I hit, I'm sick of oh yeah, <laughs> let me bury that. I, I would rant about that for the rest of the podcast. I'm sick of moving a cursor with an analog stick. That was never meant to happen. It's the most unnatural thing ever. Um, I'd also written down here. I was going to talk about Wolverine on PS5. There's more more new gameplay details about that. But me and you did a news video on it, and um, the audio version of that will be on this feed very soon. Or you can go to the YouTube channel and uh, and watch that as well. Um, one of the next things down is um, it being. Re- Revealed, and this is only on over on 4chan, so pinch of salt, whatever. Um, but it's more of a talking point that one of the three games that were cancelled over at Ubisoft when they were trying to do lots of various cost cutting was a Watch Dogs Battle Royale. I didn't um, see this. Yeah, so this has started doing the rounds that because um, we knew um, as of a couple of weeks ago that Ubisoft had tried all these various cost cutting measures because they're not in a very good state right now. No. They're not doing very well at all. Um, and that three three games had been cancelled, but they also weren't announced. Apparently, one of them was a Watch Dogs Battle Royale, which made me remember the Watch Dogs IP and made me remember Watch Dogs Legion. And made me go, oh yeah, that, all that. That was a whole thing that you tried. Hey, I'm not going to say that Watch Dogs Battle Royale would have been good. It wouldn't. But I will say <laughs> that Watch Dogs multiplayer suite was wholly underutilized. That had so much potential, like in I'm Watch Dogs on 1. Watch Dogs multiplayer. In Watch Dogs 2, uh-huh. you had the ability to invade other people's games and you were like disguised as an NPC. Mm. And the other person knew you were around and essentially had to like snuff them out before you were snuffed out yourself. And I always thought that was cool, the True. idea of, like, invasion, the idea of hacking literally someone else's game, mm-hmm. messing around with, you know, traffic lights to cause pileups to distract the players so you could sneak behind them and shoot them in the head or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, that's really sick. There, there was potential there that was never, ever fulfilled, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Uh, but a Watch Dogs multiplayer game isn't something that I would write off wholesale. And would it be adapted well to a Battle Royale formula? Maybe not. Would I trust <laughs> Ubisoft to do it well? Absolutely not. But I do think there's more you can do with that IP, especially in the multiplayer space. That's true. I guess, yeah, I'm, I, when, I, when you mentioned Watch Dogs multiplayer, I was thinking like Team Deathmatch stuff, and I couldn't remember that at all. So did that happen and I just didn't bank it? Yeah. But yeah, all the invasion stuff, I guess, feels like a spin-off of like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, what they tried to set in motion. I, I do agree that that whole idea of invading someone else's story and not, you don't maybe, as you're playing, you don't realize that one of the NPCs is actually a person. And like, obviously Dark Souls has some of that as well. Um, yeah, there would have been a way to go with that, I guess. Because the thing with Legion was that they had that whole AI generated voice packs and like, they had this whole thing where every individual NPC was a unique creation, but based on algorithms. Maybe trying to find some way of rolling that into a Battle Royale yeah. um, and having a 
whole bunch of NPCs take part in the fracas as well. Um, but still, if it's true, that game ain't even coming. And no. I, the Watch Dogs IP has been tarnished for almost 10 years at this point. I, even the Watch Dogs 2 is solid. Do I just, they? Yeah. You know, they were talking about Uber mm. brands. They were talking about transforming oh, their... Yeah. You know, biggest franchises like Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, Tom Clancy, all of mm. the Umbrella Tom Clancy stuff into live service titles. Like, do you think Watch Dogs has a future either as a franchise or as a live service experience or anything? Obviously, they've cancelled this, so. but like, do they even bank on that? I was amazed they announced Watch Dogs 2. Like, <laughs> I, I think Watch Dogs 2 is solid. I think Legion has some good fun parts to it. You can almost break that game because you can just fly in and out of every single mission to retrieve whatever you need to for that mission goal. Um, so there's some fun to be had, but it's not long-term memorable fun. It's just this weird sandbox thing that they tried to set in motion in the original. But no, I always thought that IP was way too tainted. Like that, that IP, the original Watch Dogs, was was almost single-handedly the the whipping boy kind of thing for the state of the generation. It was yeah. just like, oh my god, look at the state of Watch Dogs, and it was just it just was so lambasted. I just couldn't believe they tried to do more with it. Um, so I would I would sunset that. I would get rid of Watch Dogs. Um, I just yeah, Ubisoft I just cannot. Ca- well, they need to catch a break, but the way that they're trying to lay out their future and um, with like live services are going to save us guys, and then it's like every single other live service is tanking. Yeah, um, and there's no way that like they are the ones to make it work. They're not going to be the next, have the next Fortnite. That's it. That, that's it, right? Like they're, they're going all in on live service games at the time when we're seeing more live service games than ever be sunset, to put it politely. I need to stop using off, that term. It's not, it's, not a, it's not an okay term. <laughs> no, 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 PR not. speak coming Very through. Scott Telford, a PR master these it's days. It's just the amount of emails that we get sent about like, various terminologies and can we sort of uh, like touch base? Can we <laughs> do these different things? I'm like, oh my, this is a whole other language for most people. <laughs> I like that. I'm, I'm going to just disconnect myself from that. You can deal with uh, the touching hey, base. Hey, Josh, it's nice thing. to e-meet you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> hey, we could do that in Watch Dogs, my friend. You yes. Could, you could come up to me as a seemingly nice fellow, and then you could stab me in the back Daisy <clears throat> style. Make something unique. Make something interesting with these interesting franchises that mm. you have, Ubisoft. Like, stop relying on models and formulas that are proven to not work. Mm-hmm. Or if they do work, they, they work in exceptional anomalous circumstances mm. where you have something that is so successful, there's not even a chance of dethroning it. <laughs> you might get some of their scraps, but it won't be enough for the amount of money that you have invested in it. You know no. what I mean? It's just like, when it comes to their franchises, I hear the term live service. I look at live services right now that are dying. Mm. It doesn't make me excited, man. I don't think it's the, the thing that's going to save the company at all. No, I also think that the more you lead with, it says in the video, but I think the more you lead with, this is live service from day one. Look at all these different things you can buy. Look at all these different things, all these plans we've got. And then a lot of people just go like, okay, but I don't love playing it. And yeah. like, you want me to put up with this and, and hope that things get fixed and things get added? and justify my time later. Like, it's just a bad, like, life proposition. Like, (laughs) give us your time and we'll eventually pay it off maybe if we don't get cancelled. It's just like, what the hell even is this? What are we doing? Well, I don't, don't, honestly, I do not know. (laughs) I do not know. And I think these franchises deserve better than what they're getting, you Mm. know, especially if, you know, say they do, like they are going all in on different live services for each of their big franchises. Mm -hmm. How does that not, how do they not cannibalize each other? Because unfortunately, all Ubisoft franchises are the same (laughs) and they might have different skins, but they are all modeled around the same formulas, the same mechanics, Mm -hmm. more or less. One might be third person, one might be first person, but you're getting a very similar experience and I don't know how they can all exist at the same time. I love that they never really, I mean, obviously they wanted the short term gain and the people who have set these uh, gameplay ideas 
in motion are no longer with the company anyway. But like that whole thing of let's make every one of our key franchises into the one formula that we're known for, the post Far Cry 3 formula, um, and just make everything that, 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 that always had such a, uh, like a, a limit on it. We were always going to get sick of it and faster and faster than ever, the more you put those things into different games. Um, and now we have this weird, it's like it's, that has bore the fruit it was always going to give them where we're now just sick of Ubisoft because mm. that is everything that they offer. Um, and it's just, yeah, they're in such a weird position. It's not like I'm, I don't want them to fail or anything. I just want them to be <laughs> good again. Yeah. And it's like, I remember, um, I wish they'd bring back the Ubi art thing. Like yeah. I love Child of Light. I love Valiant Hearts. Like that was the the strongest they'd been in quite some time. And back in like, that was 2016, 2017. Actually, no, earlier than that for Child of Light. That was like 2014. Um, but still, I feel like that was like a wing of the company that had charm and soul and purpose and not just how do we fleece you for more things that you already know about. I feel like we accidentally end up talking about Ubisoft in depth on this <laughs> podcast every single week. And it's because every single bit of news that comes out of that studio, whether it's stuff like canceling, whether it's stuff like greenlighting, mm. whether it's emails that they're sending to their teams to uh, save the company, it all just points towards a lack of confidence and mm. a, a lack of being in touch with what players actually want. Yeah, and I think we could, because we grew up with them as well, like, and you know those franchises. I mean, like, Assassin's Creed goes back to 2007, and Rayman, long before them, might be one of the first games that you ever played on the PS1 or something. So it's like, you do have that connection with them, where, like, that name was always around, and, like, those franchises were all around. So it is interesting. They are interesting talking points. Um, let's transition into um, the games that we've been playing, because we both played a little bit of Dead Space. I think you started some Dead Space? I have started some A little some bit Dead of Space. Dead Space? Yeah. How, how are you finding the old Dead Space? Dead Space is really good, isn't it, Scott? It, is bit, isn't it? it really, really is. You know, I must admit, for the first hour, perhaps I did have the feeling of this is very familiar mm. do I really need this especially having just played Callisto Protocol a few weeks ago however it, it's, it's almost been a plus to have played Callisto Protocol mm. a few weeks ago because you can see what Dead Space does right that that game didn't the first and foremost thing that I want to shout out about this remake is just how scary it is. Yes. Like, I, I'm playing it with headphones on, and I'm constantly surprised. I'm constantly scared. The sound design is excellent. Mm -hmm. But it's the it's the kind of, like, creature, not only their designs, but their placement within the levels mm. that is so effective. Like, every single time one pops out in a, out a vent, even if I'm bracing myself for it, it manages to work. There have been <laughs> so many times where I've audibly shouted because I've been backing away, shooting one necromorph and to see like the appendages of another right behind yes. it having to have to spin around panic punch it in the face run away <laughs> it's done that so many times uh, and it's never gotten old yet i'm only a few hours in like three or four hours at the time of recording mm -hmm. this but it's it's just worked and it has that level of horror that the callisto protocol just did not have at all no the thing is with me i played callisto and it was such a hard game to get through and i was like just trying to force myself to see the positives of that game and it, it is just a mess i mean it, it just didn't come together very well but it did remind me of how much i love third person horror and so i ended up playing through all of dead space 2 all of dead space 3 and then went into dead space 1 because 1 was always the one that i played the most anyway so i didn't i didn't want to replay that to then do it again so i thought i'll do 2 and 3 and then go straight into 1 and yeah i just i really love this world i think that I I like I think they lose it as the trilogy plays out. I don't think they they don't do very well by um justifying what the creatures are or like the reason that they're why they're there on the Ishimura, the, the ship that you're on, or anything like that. For me, the more they bring humanity into it, the worse that franchise gets. Um but whatever. Where it starts out though, where it's at its most mysterious and where you don't know what the hell is going on, and it's all these weird mutations of people and these like blade-handed creatures and everything. Like I said before, I love that they bring in almost an element of like pursuer AI, or it feels yeah. like that to me, where it feels like I'm being hunted by these things that are in the 
events. And I don't really feel like they pulled that off in the 2007 one. You were obviously aware that there were creatures on the ship, but now it feels like they're trying to close you down all the time. And sometimes you'll just see them, especially towards the beginning, um, in various like vent shafts above you, but they don't actually attack you. It's just they're running around trying to get to you. I think that's a really effective thing to do. Yeah. Um, some of those scares were in the original one. Um, but the one thing that keeps getting me is what you said, where you realize there's one right behind you. Like you see an arm just coming in to get you or something um, whilst you're operating a switch or something. And it almost breaks the... It works better because there were rules to the gameplay side of things in the original where it's like, I'm in a safe space, I'm flicking this switch, nothing can get to me. Yeah. But you don't realize something's actually like, you know, come through a vent and is now standing behind you. I think that's a brilliant thing to inject. Yes. And it works doubly so because you think you're safe or you think things are going to go a certain way. Definitely, man, 100%. Like, and it's just, it's just so atmospheric. It's so mm. claustrophobic every single time. Like... I do panic. I'm playing it on hard. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm still panicking because I, I, I'm worrying about my ammo count. I'm worrying about how long it's taking to hack through this leg, which I love, by the way. I love that they've changed, like, the... What would you even refer to it as? The hmm. way that you, you know, you start shooting a necromorph's leg and then you get to the muscle, then you get to, like, the tendons, <laughs> then you get to the bone, and then it finally comes off. Yeah, yeah. Like, the worry of... In, in the kind of the intensity of having to hack through flesh and bone <laughs> with your laser cutter to stop this thing from Yes, yeah, like just go down, just like fall down. Yeah, just please go down. Um, works a treat because one issue that I ultimately ended up having with, not an issue, but uh, for frustration that I had with the original Dead Space and Dead Space 2 was once you've kind of mastered your accuracy, mm. you know exactly how to take these monsters out. You know, there's a few shots to the leg, it's taken off their arm, mm -hmm. and they become quite unthreatening because they're the way to defeat them is so reliable. I, I don't know why, but this time around, I feel like my aim is off more. I feel like yeah. it's harder to target the limbs as accurately as I want It's a lot faster state. than the standard games. Like, yeah. they've, they've sped everything up a lot. It, it's very fast. It's mm. very fast. But even with that speed, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's me. I don't know whether, whether it's the game and the way they've balanced it. Mm. But I find it more difficult to deal with the monsters in a good way. It keeps them threatening and it keeps those mm. combat engagements more intense. Yeah, man, I would back that. I think for me, it's like, yeah, it is. I, I the thing that I was wowed by the most, and I, I mentioned it before, was like the whole level design thing. Yeah. I love, because I've not played the original Dead Space for, it, it's about 10 years or so. I obviously played it back in 2007 and then played it again like a few years later. Um, but it, like in terms of expanding the level layouts, they have added that whole system of like, you have a fuse and it's like, do you use it to unlock the doors? Because if you do, you can't power the lights. So like you want to, like you know your escape route is at the other side of the room, but you're going to have to get there in pitch dark. So it's like, okay, you can look at the lights and try and think where things are going to be. But then I love, like the sound design, like you said, is phenomenal. Oh, so yeah. It's like realizing, okay, something just entered the room and I can vaguely hear where it is because of the 3D audio, um, but, I, but I'm in complete darkness. And I think that's just letting you choose to knock the lights off. Yeah. It's just such a subtle thing, but such a great horror-focused creative decision. And I think that th little things like that are like, okay, that's a perfect way to take something um, that had a certain identity and a certain feel and a fan base and meaningfully expand on it. Yeah. Like, and, and it's still going down the route of it being a remake. Look, the Ishimura itself, like the ship, always felt like a character, always felt mm. like a place where people live but thanks to these changes it's that that feeling is even more pronounced this time around mm. for me and I can only echo what you said there mm. especially when it comes to like the lock doors that they've added ha needing to have a certain level of clearance to get to some secret areas or whatever it's very much inspired by you know the way Resident Evil 2 yes uh, it pretty much has that map now as well yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. It, you know the way Resident Evil 2 utilized its map and locked some doors and made you tread back through areas mm. but to me that just it works to expand what Dead Space was it adds more character to the ship itself and allows more opportunities for remix scares for diehard fans who have played Dead Space 1. Absolutely loads. It just adds yeah, an extra layer to the game 
that for me is very welcome. I think it's cool as well because it is EA Motive who did uh, Star Wars Squadrons and I forget what else they've done, but it's not necessarily the original team or anything. So it's it's kind of cool because you get this almost like fan perspective of like, okay, we want to amp up, like I said, the lighting effects or um, the gore side of it. Like, But it's it's done like with respect. It's done with a, in a way that enhances the original. Um, and it's just that idea of like, you're reapproaching something that's like you'd look at the Dead Space trilogy. Like I never played Dead Space three until very, very recently, um, and just realizing just how far off the mark they got. And the very beginning of Dead Space three is terrible. Like that mm. whole weird Uncharted style uh, sequence. It's just it's terrible. Like it's really, really bad. It doesn't fit at all. Um, I do think it gets a lot better after that. And I love all the flotilla stuff or whatever people refer to as the cluster of ships where you travel between them. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, but when you go back to the original, and if you're someone like EA Motive, it's like okay, what do we pick and choose from the later games? What do you pick and even from the law stuff, how do we seed that stuff better? Do we try and you know mention the Church of Unitology a bit more? Like that was always in there to some degree, but they know like where that's gonna go. So it's like, is this part of an entirely remade trilogy? I I don't know. Like this is doing pretty well in the sales and everything. A lot of people talking about it. Yeah. So I'm curious. I think you can maybe get away with remaking two, but that two is the pivot point. Two is like Mass Effect two, where it became half horror, half action. And then three is just all out action. So yeah. it's like, do you remake the trajectory of the trilogy the same way? Or do you try and course correct it and remake it the way that that team originally wanted it to be done? Yeah, do that. Do, do it all. <laughs> do, it do it all. Good. Like keep Dead Space 2 the way it is. Add some improvements like you have with Dead mm. Space 1. But for me, keep it more or less as it is like you have with the original. Mm-hmm. Dead Space 3 though completely remix. Give it, <laughs> give that the juiced up treatment. Give that the Resident Evil 2 original to the Resident Evil 2 remake oh. approach. Just transform whatever you want. Mm. Make it better, you know? Well, the thing is, I, there are part that we should do some sort of uh, post-mortem. I mean, it's, it's long post at this point, but for Dead Space 3, because I feel like there are some great ideas in there. Like, I love that floating, that bit when you're, because I love how much they double down on or give you more access to the anti-grav stuff where you're just yeah. flying around in full 360 degree space, 3D space, taking stuff out. I think there's there are things there that were just always cool and I, I'm looking forward to doing that again in Dead Space 1 because um, I think it, like, controlling that stuff got better over the trilogy um, I feel like you could keep that I feel like you could keep um, the the thing channeling parts of Dead Space 3 where you're like in this arctic base and there's something in the room with you and whatever um, do stuff with that but like overall it's it's a fascinating trilogy and it, it's interesting both um, Dead Space and Mass Effect both completely butchered themselves over a trilogy yes. chasing the Gears of War audience chasing the Call of Duty audience chasing the action audience when Who they both there? had identities at the start. Who is their publisher again? It might be a... Yeah, that's funny. Uh, that's that's strange how two franchises published by the same company ended up having the exact same tragic trajectory. <laughs> I won't read too much of that I would all. love a meeting, a sit-down with um, the team members from those two franchises talking about what were clearly, um, you know, mandates passed down from on high. Just saying, well, test audiences love this. And like, look at what's selling. We need to be doing this. Yeah. And just like absolutely savaging the identities of both those IP um, to the point where Mass Effect 3 and Dead Space 3 are just regarded as historical misfires. Like, yep. It's ridiculous now when you go back to them, just realizing how off the boil they were. Um, I, yeah, I will say I have one note for Death yes. Space is remake. And that's, I want a dodge button. I want I want the ability yes. to dodge. I love that in Dead Space 3. Yeah. You don't even have one in Dead Space 2. Like, nope. as soon as you can actually dodge out of the way of stuff in 3, I was like, this is better. Give me that, because, yes. you know, for as fun as it is to have these enemies spawn right behind you and for you to not know, I do also want the ability to see that appendage and then mm. duck out the way yeah. and get to another part of uh, the environment. That would be a slight... The slight note that I would have for the combat need, system. 
is uh, the Sway, the um, the Last of Us Part 2 Sway, yes. the Ellie and Abby Sway. Just let me hit a button at the vaguely the right animation window and I'll get out the way of something. And maybe you need to have a stamina bar in if you need to or something, otherwise I'll just sway out the way of everything. <laughs> but I feel like the, you, you just have some way of Isaac in that moment would go, oh my God, there's a claw coming around. Yeah. I should be able to react to it to some fashion. Um, next thing down in terms of what you've been playing is Mortal Shell. Mortal Shell. I thought we'd talk a little bit about Mortal Shell. This is a game that was um, obviously compared to Dark Souls, its whole key thing, um, especially at the beginning, is that you can tank any incoming hit yes. and then uh, and sort of like break up animation chains that way and get yourself back on top. It's a bit of a Bloodborne vibe in that regard. It is, you it is. It's very much a Souls clone and last week, I finished it by the way, I, yes. I finished all of Model Shell. Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted something that could occupy my brain in, and I'm going to be truthful with you right now. Yes. No video game formula occupies my brain to the point where I can't think of anything else <laughs> that might be happening in my life. It is your favorite thing. Unl apart from the Souls formula because yeah. you have to think about where the enemies are, you have to think about your positioning, you have to think about the wind-ups, all of that stuff. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, the time is right to play Mortal Shell. I've been looking at it for like the past year. I know it had kind of mixed reviews, but it was mm -hmm. finally on PlayStation Plus and it was the enhanced edition for PlayStation 5. Mm -hmm. So I jumped in, not expecting much, and I was kind of blown away by how good it was. That's cool. First off, it looks visually just kind of gorgeous. I love the art design. I mm. love the aesthetic that they've gone for. But the combat had more to it than I ever expected it to. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just going to be a Souls clone. And while it does, you know, kind of have the core components of a Dark Souls combat system, you know, you're waiting for, you know, telegraphed wind-ups from enemies, trying to figure out when you can and can't mm. attack. You have these really belabored swings with your weapon. It does have more going on. You mentioned there the hardened system. Yes. And that's so cool because... I love a hardened You system. get the ability with... Um, L2, mm. I think it's L2, maybe L1, to kind of turn your character to stone, mm. essentially, so you can't move when you're in hardened, mm -hmm. but it means that you can tank whatever hit is coming your way, so you can like be mid-swing, notice they're about to hit you, harden up, and then, you know, take the swing, and then you follow through afterwards mm -hmm. and hit them. And mm -hmm. that just adds a nice layer to the combat that isn't just either dodging, which you can still do, or, you know, putting up a shield, which is more um, familiar to Dark Souls fans. It absolutely say. broke my mind trying to get my head around that at the start, because there's so yeah. many rhythms to combat that hardly... I mean, what games let you, so like you said, sort of like freeze mid-attack animation and then absorb a hit and then follow and then get back in the rhythm of it again? Getting my head around that was the thing that threw me right off back when I first played through. Only the opening sort of hour or two anyway. And I get it as well. Like mm. I actually, you know, I, I was like, this is a nice mechanic, but I didn't realize how much the game would be built around it. So for the first few hours, I was using it now and again, mm. but I wasn't utilizing it to its full potential. And it throws you some bosses where you kind of have to learn the mechanic, otherwise you're going to get your ass kicked. Right, so right. it forces you to learn it. It forces you to incorpor incorporate it into your tool set. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really neat. But what I also love is the actual point of the title, the model shell itself. Right. Because you don't have character builds like you do in Dark Souls. You, you're not leveling up with your um, XP that you're getting from killing enemies. Mm -hmm. Well, you kind of are, but not in the same way that you're just directly putting points into you know, health or mm -hmm. stamina or durability or whatever. Instead, you find human shells that are scattered throughout the levels. And that's essentially, you know, the, the dead bodies of other warriors because okay. you're this kind of like fleshy creature who can inhabit other people's quote-unquote shells, mm -hmm. their bodies. So you're finding essentially different builds as you go. You're finding a build that might have loads of stamina but not much health. So you might find a tank build with loads of health and no stamina at right. all. And what's cool about that is you can like swap between them with the press of a button, 
but each individual shell has their own upgrade trees that are unique to them. So you that's might a cool. That's a whole network of it's like yeah. like Neo's loot system. Like you're finding it's almost like playable like entire loot builds every yeah. time you find them. Yeah, it is cool because like. Although the upgrades are really interesting as well, like the the build that I mostly played as was that one with loads of stamina but barely any health. Mm. But you could upgrade that character so that they're not only immune to poison damage, mm-hmm. but then they would get health back if they were poisoned. And there's right, a lot okay. of swampy areas in the game where you get poisoned, so that was like a cool trade-off where I might not have much health on many healing items, mm-hmm. but if I get attacked, I know I'm getting that health back. It was just, it had so many of these interesting wrinkles to it that I didn't expect, and it was a good time, and I hope they make a sequel because it's not perfect, but it's such a promising first step, I think. We're actually running out of time, and the wrestling boys are trying to kick the wall in. So at some point- <laughs> Break um, the walls down. Break the walls down as the, the great Chris Jericho once said. And um, so I'm going to very quickly talk about um, Hi-Fi Rush. It's largely just what I mentioned earlier on. Um, and we'll talk about it a bit more when I think, if you end up getting back to a bit more of it. Um, but just in general, I mentioned the percentage stuff before. I don't think that many people are even getting through the game. Obviously, they gave it a shot. Um, like I said, I think the combat system is cool. I wish there was more to it over time. I got really sick of the basic beat you have the entire way through it. And um, I wish there was a way of going into like an overcharge mode because the combat is so rhythm-based that I just got a bit, like I, said, I, got, I got just got sick of the time signature. Um, and I ended up doing largely, you know, most of the same sets of moves over and over again. And I also find that the currency in that system is geared towards the end game. You actually don't really unlock um, character customization and the ability to, um, you know, access more stuff, more training areas and things like that until after the game. And then it's like, okay, go back into the levels, do more stuff, get more currency, unlock more stuff. Whereas I had the credits and I was like, nah, man, I'm done. Like, yeah. you're gonna, you should have had this way earlier on. Like, I was begging to be able to customize Chai from the beginning, like the, the main character. Um, and you can do that at the end, like after right. you finished it. It's like, oh, now you can unlock hats. And I'm just like, okay, I, uh, I wish this was, was here before. But yeah, Hi-Fi Rush is very solid. I, I'm glad that it exists. I thought it was fine. I just didn't love it. I love the art style. That's the thing that I think is God tier, but I think the rest of it isn't that solid. And the story and the character writing, I actually didn't like that much. Ah, man. Just the character writing, I was like, this is worse than Forspoken. Oh yeah, oh, I've seen God. enough to yeah. agree with that, to be honest. It's and I, uh, having done, having like played enough of Forspoken, like, I don't know, I've played like three, four hours or something of Forspoken. Like, I said that game gets worse the more you go into it. I do think Frey is a solid character. Right. Like, I just I'm like one of the five people actually playing that game, but I do think Frey is very is it's just very well written. She's not. She's like well written enough. I prefer her to Chai, like um overall. But still, um Hi-Fi Rush is uh, obviously a very, very solid game. It's just that I kind of wish they did a bit more with it. I think they would if they did a sequel. Yeah. And um, like I said, I'm glad it exists. But I think that if you're gonna like top up the parts of that game. The visuals are sky high god tier and then the story's nowhere near and the combat's kind of in the middle. Um, so there's that. And uh, we should just finish on um, some PS1 things. Yeah, man. Give me, a, some, give me some PS1 things you did. What a lovely uh, experience over the weekend. <laughs> After I finished Mortal Shell, I needed something else to distract my weary brain. Yes. So I thought, you know what? It's been a few months since I decided I wanted to go through the original Resident Evil games because I right. went to a big survival horror binge following Dead Space and Callisto Protocol. Mm-hmm. And I thought, right, I'm going to get my PlayStation 1, but if I got the PlayStation 1, I'd need to plug it into my new television, and I'm sure you know, Scott Taylor, that if you're plugging a PlayStation 1 into a modern television, oh, it makes it look bad. No, don't it, do that. It's, it's big, you know, looks cool that it's so big, but it, they, those games were made for CRT televisions, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, they were designed for that type of screen, so I thought, well, I'm going to have to get a CRT television, <laughs> so I messaged my dad, I was like, oi, can you get me some kind of old box television? Right. And he was like, why on earth would you ever want that? I said, <laughs> doesn't matter. Josh. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, get me it. So he got me it, and I hooked it up at the weekend, 
And what a glorious time. <laughs> Once the RGB SCART cable actually arrived so I could right. play the games how they were supposed to be played, mm-hmm. it was just lovely, man. I had a few games that I already um, you know, owned. I owned the original Spider-Man, uh, which was absolutely incredible. Which is still the best Spider-Man S- game ever. Still rules so hard. Yeah. I had Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which nice. is a great game. <laughs> I jumped into Tomb Raider 3, played a few of the titles as well, some Medal of Honor games, and it's just... I'm not much of a... I'm a retro gamer, right? Right. In that I love to play older games, Mm -hmm. as you will know if you listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. But I don't, like, own a lot of old hardware. Or I don't have it hooked up. I don't own, like, a Nintendo 64 like you do or anything like that. Uh I own a PlayStation, but I always hooked it up to my main television. And this is the first time I've, like, started a a proper project where I wanted to get the original hardware that it played on. And it's been really rewarding, man. Like, it's kind of opened up an entire new world because I now want to go and buy and play all of these older PlayStation 1 games as I remember playing them back <laughs> in the day. And there's just something really, really neat about nah, that man, to I, have uh, it all set up. Yeah, I would massively agree with that. I do think there's a there's quite a nice middle ground where you get, like, emulation can touch stuff up. Like, it, I, I like pristine voxels, pristine, yeah. like, uh, polygonal character models done, HD, 4K, whatever, if it's done well enough. And obviously, the um, like, maybe expanding the ratio so it's not just 4.3, it can maybe work on a widescreen if enough people have tinkered with that, um, the ROM or whatever. But, um, but yeah, like, that whole thing of when I got my N64 for my 30th, obviously, that was a few years ago, still, still hit, like, still yeah. landed beautifully well. Um, and I still had an absolute blast playing through all of Mario 64 and Star Fox and everything. So there is something to those old games. I mean, I found playing through Atari 50, like going back through stuff from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, if something has that core to it where it was made with purpose and it was just trying to have a cool gameplay mechanic, it still transcends. It still works. Yes. Like I always, I've always pushed back on people who get entirely hung up on graphics. Like it's like you don't need them. Like they can make things better, but if it still feels good to play and something was made with enough passion or whatever, like that Spider-Man game, yeah, like it opens yeah. with Stan Lee and like it's just, just the story's really fun. It's really well written. Venom's hilarious in it. Like there's so much stuff there that just is still so playable and lovable now. Like, yeah, go go fish out your retro this, console. This is it, man. And I've had a PlayStation 2 for a long time, mm. but the adapter, the HDMI adapter that I had with that wouldn't allow all PlayStation 1 games to be displayed, so right. I couldn't play stuff like The Phantom Menace, so I thought it would be worth investing in, you know, the full setup. And I know there's going to be people listening to this saying, Josh, stop being an idiot. Just go <laughs> and get a PC and play them all on there. And to that, I Rich will Hudson say... Rich clawing the windows. <laughs> yeah. To that, I will say, if you want to play those games on PC, that's totally good and probably the better way to play them. Uh. But my being, my entire personhood, is so driven by vibes that, <laughs> to me, sitting playing a game on my laptop, because I only have a laptop, is not the vibe. I don't even like doing no. work on that laptop. Uh. I associate it... I associate being on a laptop with work. Yeah. If I'm if I want to play a game, if I want to play the new Dead Space, it's gotta be nighttime. I've gotta be in the mood. I can't just be shutting the curtains. And if I want to play a PlayStation One, the vibe is me in front of that small telly being illuminated by these crazy colours mm. while there's a you know, the PlayStation whirring on the side. That brings me joy in a way that playing it on a PC just wouldn't. <laughs> no, I'd back that. My middle ground is like Steam Deck because that's like yeah. that way of plugging it into the TV with the Steam Deck dock and then being able to play like that Spider-Man game in HD or whatever. Um, but yeah, overall, I definitely back doing it properly. Like um, like I said, when I went through the N64, that was I got like a relative upscaler. 
But I think it's just, I don't know, it depends. Like CRT, I think, is a step too far for me because it would be too blurry. And I, I just love, like I said, pristine polygonal stuff. But overall, the vibe of going back to those games yeah. and looking at like certain gameplay mechanics and certain genres that were like, you know, finding their footing. I just, I always get such a joy out of playing something that's old and yeah. then going like, oh my God, this became this whole thing. Or look what you were able to accomplish or something. Like when um, Nintendo put Star Fox 2 out and it was like notoriously held back because um, it just couldn't compete with the PS1 back in the mid 90s. And then they put out on the, SNES Mini, and then you play that now, and it's like, oh my god, they were so ahead of like their time. There's almost like a roguelike approach to it, yeah. Um, and it just has all these really cool ideas that they were trying to do that were like breaking away from the hardware. Um, and same with the Atari stuff. It's like, look what you guys were doing with two kilobytes of memory. <laughs> like it's insane. So yeah, I always champion that stuff. I think it's like if you're yeah. a fan of gaming, you'll be a fan of the old gaming uh, games too. Absolutely. You know, I only used to play the the new games, and I would never revisit stuff. And mm. it changed my life when I started to do that genuinely you know so many games that i loved as a kid that i just kind of ended up thinking well if i loved them as a kid why haven't i revisited them yeah. just because i thought of them as being obsolete or whatever because jim ryan was telling me that no one wants to play the old gran turismo <laughs> games but i do jim and i do i will end this by saying i think it's a failing on sony's part mm. that their playstation one classic selection on playstation plus isn't up to snuff. It's abysmal. In that I had to go out, or I felt like I had to go out and buy a, not buy, I, I want to say that I was fortunate <laughs> enough for my dad to source Retrieve. me a CRT television from my auntie, and my PlayStation 1 was the one I've had since I was four. It was yes. just in the shed. So I actually got it for free. But the point was, I could have played some games on PlayStation Plus, but the selection isn't there, so mm -hmm. I felt the need to put this ridiculous setup together <laughs> just to play Resident Evil 2 because it's not available otherwise. Why That's is it thing. not available? The, uh, the PlayStation Plus premium tier is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's just got awful. Like, there's like three games on that you'd want to play. Ape Escape, Siphon Filter, Siphon Filter 2. It's very little. It's the PlayStation 3 selection's really good, but... Uh, Even I then, guess. who wants to stream in 1080p? <laughs> Not me. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll wrap this podcast. I think I said that about 10 years ago. But yeah. for now, yes, this has been The Wind-Up. I've been Scott Telford. You've been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Telford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.